There is an author, a medieval author, whose name is Miguel de Cervantes. And Miguel de Cervantes wrote uh, one of the first, the first novel in the Western Hemisphere called Don Quixote de la Mancha. There's a play about him, about Miguel de Cervantes, called Man of La Mancha. And uh, if you ever have a chance, it's, it's been made into a movie, and it's, it's a good movie. The play is better, but it's a good movie. Um, in the 50s or 60s, I think. But anyway, in the, in the, um, in the play, Miguel de Cervantes is being ridiculed because his character in Man of La Mancha is an old man who's kind of gone crazy and he thinks that he is a, uh, a knight in shining armor. And he really is just an old man with a spittoon on his head for a helmet. And he goes around fighting windmills thinking that uh, that they are dragons, and he has a, a lady whom he calls his Dulcinea, and she uh, is actually a prostitute at the local bar, but he calls her his lady. It's a beautiful play. But during the beginning of the play, Cervantes is pictured in prison by the Inquisition. And he's being ridiculed by the rest of the uh, by the rest of the inmates, and they're ridiculing him because his character is a fool. He's a stupid fool. And why do they think he's a fool? Well, because he's deluded. They say to Cervantes, he doesn't live life as it is. He's only constantly just looking at, you know, life in a different way. He's a fool. And Cervantes defends himself. And I've never forgotten what he says, because what he says has always really impacted me. Cervantes says, I have seen men who live life as it is. I've lived life as it is. I've been a soldier in different campaigns throughout northern Africa. I have been in battles. I've seen men die under the lash. I've seen them stabbed. I've seen them torn apart in battle. And I've heard, I've held these men in my arms men bleeding, and they were looking off into the sunset or into the sky as they were dying, and I was holding them in my arms. And these were men who saw life as it is. They were, according to your definition, not cowards, but they were men who saw life as it is. And they were looking off into the distance with an empty look. And that empty look, they kept on asking the question, why? Why? 
Then Cervantes continues and he says, I know that they were not asking why they were dying. They were asking why they had lived. They were asking why they had lived. When life itself seems lunatic, who knows where madness lies? Perhaps being too practical is madness. Perhaps living life as it really is, maybe that's madness. Maybe seeking treasure where there is only trash, maybe that is madness. And maddest of all is to live life as it is and not as it should be. I've never forgotten that. Maddest of all is to live life as it is and not as it should be. Every time I think of that, I always think of Socrates. Because Socrates made the, an, an unforgettable statement, the unexamined life is not worth living. You see, the reason I'm starting my homily this way is because over the years, more and more it has dawned on me that that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Please understand, I have come to realize that being, quote, religious, is quite a stupid thing to do. Now, what do I mean by quite a stupid thing to do? Because being religious has the connotation, at least it did in my life, that you have life over here, and then you go to church, and you go, hi, God, hi, I love you, God. And that's it. And then you go back to your life as it is. And there seems to be kind of a separation. Here's where I kind of say, hi, God. And here's my real life. Oh, the decisions of everyday life. This is where I live life as it is. Uh, going to church is, hi, God. But there seems to be very little relationship between the two. This is my real life. And in my experience over the years, a lot of people don't have a lot of connection. There's some tenuous connections, but not a great deal of connection between hi, God, church over here, and here's my real life, life as it is. And I have found that more and more idiotic every year that I live, as if religion was something you do on Sundays and you go to church. I've come to understand that religion, I heard it, I heard it the other, a few weeks ago, in a, put in a particularly pithy way. Science takes things apart to figure out how they work. Religion puts things together to figure out what they mean. Go ahead, learn your science. And trust me, I want you to learn your science. I want you, our engineers, to produce good cars. 
to produce oil, architects for you guys to build buildings, people in government to govern us well. But none of those things tells you what does it mean? What's it for? What's the whole point of it all? And trust me, folks, the older you get, the more you begin to say, so what the heck is this all about? You wake up day after day after day and you go to work and you come home, you go to work and come home. You have a few beers here and there. You have some laughs here and there. But you always come home. And you always in your moments alone and you go, so what's this all about? And the older you get, the more tired you get. And it's come to understand that religion, especially Christianity, is about understanding the meaning of life. You see, a human being is totally different from any animal. I, I have a little dog. <laughs> My dog's name is Eddie. Eddie is a multi-poo. He's a totally white little dog, just about this big. Puff of white. Eddie doesn't seem to ask any questions. Eddie loves to chase squirrels. He barks at cars. He makes sure to bark at me when it's time for me to take him for a walk. But Eddie never asks why. Eddie never asks the point of anything. And he does the same thing every day. And he doesn't seem to get bored. But you see, we humans are not that way. In life, what happens is that you go along and then things happen. Things happen. Sometimes, a lot of times, good things happen. But then things happen that are not so good. You may lose somebody you love. You may get sick. You may be facing death. You may lose your job. You may get a divorce. You may go into a deep depression. And then you ask the question, why? Why? Where's this all going? What's the point? Now, why am I talking about this? Because that's exactly the situation of the first disciples right there. Did you notice it? Look at, examine what they're doing. Jesus, who is the man who they had followed for three years, they had put his, their hope and dreams on, on him for three years. And they just watched him be torn apart and crucified like a common criminal. I don't know if you caught it, because you have to listen closely to the dialogue. And sometimes we listen to the gospel and it just kind of goes whoop, right over. Did you notice how... When Jesus comes right up to them and he says, what y'all talking about? And they say, well, are you the only one who's been in Jerusalem all these days and you don't know what's going on? 
What things? But he's dumb. And then he says how Jesus of Nazareth, a man powerful, we, and then we thought he was going to be the one that was going to, to bring out Israel and they don't say that in, but they, what, this is what they mean. They push out the Romans and we were going to be able to finally be freed and, and everything we had really hoped that he was going to be the one and, and he didn't turn out to be that. He, he turned out to be nothing. The Romans squashed him. Now, we heard something about him not being in the tomb, but some of our women, and you know how women are, you know, you know, women are. They astounded us. Now notice. Notice how they're behaving. They're leaving Jerusalem. Now you ask yourself why. The Sunday when they've been told that the tomb was empty. Do you think there's a great chance of them believing that uh, they're hightailing it out of Jerusalem? They're leaving, and they're depressed. They don't believe a word that the women have said. They don't believe it. Now, analyze what they're going through. Their whole world has fallen apart. The entire world has fallen apart. Every single one of us lives in a story. We make up our story. This is my, I have my job. I'm looking forward to this. This is what I'm, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. This is where I come from. And your story is something that you have constructed out of your life. And your story works on a regular basis until something happens. Until you go to a doctor and he tells you you got cancer. Until you get a phone call that your son is dead on a, on a street because somebody ran over him or something. Until you lose your job. Until you go in. Everything is fine. Until. Until. And until. And there will be a day in which until will come to you and me. And then you're going to be just like these people. Your world's going to come down crashing. And you're going to be confused and you don't know what to do. You thought you had life figured out, but you don't. And it's in pieces on your feet. And then Jesus walks in them. And notice, this is very curious. They don't recognize him. Do you notice that about Jesus? When Mary sees him at the tomb, she thinks he's a gardener. Jesus evidently veils his presence. They don't recognize him. And he plays dumb. Now, what's he begin doing? He begins saying, how foolish you are. Meaning, how foolish is your interpretation of your life? Because it came crashing down when you least expected it. And then he begins to build them back up. He begins to help them to see the parts of a new story. He begins to help them to interpret the Bible in how they refer to him. You imagine, that's the first, by the way, that's the first Bible study. 
And he's walking around letting them see how all of those things refer to him. And slowly they're going, ah, oh. Slowly they're beginning to see a new story out of the ashes of the old story. And then, as he thinks he's going on, they say, oh, come on, you come on. They still don't recognize him. And when he goes over there and he sits down with them, you can imagine they walked into the house. They didn't eat right away. Sitting there talking. They're talking to Jesus and they don't recognize him. And then Jesus sits down at the table and there's four words there, four actions, four, that refer are exactly that what were done at the Last Supper. It says that Jesus took bread, broke it. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And it says the moment he did those four things, what? They recognized him. And the moment they recognize him, what happens? He vanishes. Why? Why? Why would Jesus vanish? Just the moment they recognize him. First of all, Jesus did not want them to recognize him. He didn't want them to recognize him before. He wanted them to continue to ask questions. Sometimes I think it's the same thing for you and me. As you're going through life and your, your story sometimes comes crashing down and your life comes crashing down and you keep on going, where are you, God? Where are you? Show yourself. And he goes, I'm right here, but I'm not letting you recognize me. Keep asking questions because the unexamined life is not worth living. Why is he letting you do that? Because he's intentionally wanting you to be perplexed. He's intentionally not wanting you to have easy answers. Jesus is not a helicopter parent who's out to make your life sweet. He wants you to dig. He wants you to ask questions. He wants you to ask what the meaning of your life is and where it's all going. What's the point of it all? Why are you living? He wants you to examine your life. And then when you least expect it, you sit in that meal and all of a sudden you recognize him. And you go, my God, you've been with me all along. Yes, he has. He just didn't want you to recognize him because he didn't want you to stop asking questions. You see, that's why being religious with over here and having real life over here is stupid. Because if religion's not supposed to be here in your real life or you're here, religion is supposed to be here. Here. Not over here in church. Yes, in church, it's a good, good thing. Come to church. Okay? But don't make believe that religion's over here and not over here. Because what God wants you to do, he's going to make sure that this part of your life is going to fall apart sooner or later. Because he wants you to ask questions. 
He wants you to say, what does this mean? Why is this happening? Why, 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 why? So that you'll take the stuff that's over here and bring it over here. Does you no good sitting over here? And that's what the apostles were having to do. They were having to reinterpret their entire lives. And that's why I think, I believe this, that God lets your life periodically fall apart because you have to reconnect the two parts. You have to reconnect your real life to what you do on Sunday. And it won't, he won't let. And people say, people periodically, I get this all the time, people say, oh, Father, but I'm so religious. Why is God doing this to me? Because you got religion over here and not over here. Don't be surprised. He lets, it, he lets it happen to everybody because he is not content for making, for you being a religious runt. He's not. You would never want your child to become a religious runt of the litter. And why did he vanish? That's very interesting. You know why? Because did you notice when they recognized him? They recognized him at the breaking of the bread. Do you know that in the ancient world, the word mass did not exist? People would come together, not for mass. They would come together for the breaking of the bread. And he is saying, from now on, I don't want you to be addicted to me seeing me face to face. I want you to recognize me at the breaking of the bread. Now, here, tonight. And so, folks, what you just saw was a picture of what your life and my life is going to be like. A series of stories in which we live, in which things are going along fine, and sooner or later you're going to see them break down, you're going to be disillusioned, and you're going to be walking out thinking life doesn't make sense and why did God do this to me since I'm such a good religious person? And he's going to let it happen so that you ask questions. And then he's going to walk beside you and you're not even going to recognize who he is as he's walking. And sooner or later, you're going to be sitting somewhere, probably at the breaking of the bread, and you can, you're going to say, but weren't you with us all the time? Yeah. You just had to make sure that you were asking the questions. It does you no good to have your religion over here and your real life over here. Does you no good. That's stupid. Religion belongs over here, not as a special thing on Sundays. You will recognize him. He's walking with you. But he's not going to let you recognize him until you connect the two parts of your life. That's what a disciple does. A disciple is a student. Get your eyes, get your ears in. A disciple is a student. If you're a student, what are you studying? You're studying what it means to be human. You're supposed to be asking questions. You're supposed to be asking. You're supposed to be doubting. And some of us get stark down and, oh, I don't know if I believe over here. Good, I'm glad you don't believe over here. Do you bring it over here? 
then you're gonna make, it's going to make sense. You're a disciple. Study. And what's the what are you studying? What does it mean to live? Why are you living? And why are you dying? And you will find the answers in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus.